We uh, are going to be finishing up looking at the role of the pastor. I believe the last time the children were here with us, we were looking at the prophet. Today, last time we were together looking at the pastor, of course, last the week before, just last Sunday, we were looking at how to pray for our leaders. And we had a number of you that uh, were kind enough to share that on your Facebook pages, and we appreciate that. Uh, if you did not see it, I put up a little follow-up to that on uh, Facebook yesterday. And as I said, not stuff I'm getting into here on Sunday, but you can read that over if you didn't see it. But as we were looking over some of the duties and responsibilities of the, the pastor, I, uh, I, I seemed to make a pretty good, uh, pretty good case for you all from the Word of God what the jobs were and what the jobs were not. But I did not let you know everything on this because of some of the comments I got from it that I can sort of figure it out. But we had told you that uh, many pastors, their job descriptions, if you look around the United States, I don't know about other countries, I can just talk about the one here, you'll see that their job descriptions are mostly visits, calls, maintenance, rides, counseling, helper, doing all the sort of stuff. That's what their main job is. And then beside that, you ought to teach something on Sundays. But we see from the Word of God, that's not it. But that doesn't mean that the pastor doesn't do those things. It just means that's not the main call and the main responsibility. But a pastor will sometimes do some of those things, either as God directs or there's a need for, for something. But to do so generally takes you away from other things. Acts chapter 6 talks about how the disciples came together. There was a need in the church with the, the widows being taken care of. And they said, we can't leave the Word of God to do this because that would be shirking their responsibilities to do something that wasn't. And so that's where the deacons came from. They put the people in the place of the deacons. They used that as a place to get going in ministry. And many of those uh, deacons took off and, and God used them in many different areas, not just in taking care of the things they had set up to do as a deacon. And we saw that through the, the book of Acts. But if you'll turn over in your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to start reading over at Romans chapter 16, but you can, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to spend more time over in Second Timothy chapter 2. As we looked at the role of the pastor, we saw that there are three assignments. First off, they are to feed the flock of God. They are to rule and they are to watch over. He's classified as a shepherd. A shepherd is to feed, to rule over the flock, and to watch over, making sure that no enemies get in or things come to harm. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17 I appeal to you, brothers, I'm reading from the ESV, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. So one of the things that they should be doing is to to watch out for those who cause division. There are people who come into the body of Christ for the purpose of causing division. Well, you got to make sure that you keep an eye out for that and preserve the body and don't let that go on. They come in to create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that is the Word of God. And so sometimes people come into the, to the church and they try and set up other doctrines to distract from the true ones. And you have to be watchful of this. But it, just keep that in mind. The role of the pastor is to feed, rule, and watch over. That is the main role. That's not the only thing that they do, but that's the main things that they'll do. And from the Word of God and all the verses we looked at, that's really all that the Bible commends them to be doing. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 Remind them of these things, those that are working for God, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Well, if you as a, as a, as Timothy, his head of the church, if he is to remind them of these things, certainly he himself cannot be striving about the words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. You can't be getting into the wrong kind of arguments, the wrong kind of debates. Make sure you stay with those things that are true and those things that are helpful. The New Century Version puts it this way. Continue teaching these things, warning people in the presence, in God's presence not to argue about words. It does not help anyone. And it ruins those who listen. We want to make sure that we don't get into the, the wrong kind of arguments. We start arguing about words. We start arguing about things that don't matter in the Word of God. We're not helping anybody. We're hurting them. So we have to make sure that our focus is that. Now later on, he's going to tell them some other things about this as, as well, but still the you have to set the example. And the, Timothy certainly should. 
in verse 15, very familiar scripture, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The best example I've ever heard of rightly dividing the word of truth came from a pastor of mine, and that was that was this. Is Mia, uh, if if I'm going to ask you to do a division for me, can you do this? Just, I'll just do small numbers. Just small numbers, all right? Would you divide six? I'm sorry? We'll just divide it. Just just divide it. Just any, any way, which way you want to just divide it. You have to go three? Okay. So, you, so what did you divide it by? Two. Because if you're going to do division, you have to divide by something. And so she picked out a number on her own. And just as I, I'll just do that because I didn't give her a, a definitive thing. When he says rightly dividing the word of truth, what you need to do is you need to take the word of truth and divide it with others. If you just take one verse of scripture and come up with a meaning out of it, you have not rightly divided the word because you have it standing by itself. The word of God is always divisible by itself. If I come out with the truth in the word of God, there is another place over here that teaches it. Now, I've said this to you countless times over the, the decades we've been here. I won't veer off of this. We've still stayed this way. There are three uh, three legs we stand on here in teaching. Three. First off, if our life is to be governed by it, and that is key to understand, if our life is to be governed by it, there's much truth in the Word of God that does not govern your life and does not follow these rules. <coughs> but if our life is to be governed by it, first off, it is taught clearly in the Word. Secondly, it is taught often in the Word. And third, somebody did what it teaches. If you find anyone teaching something that is not first off taught clearly in the Word, secondly taught often in the Word, and third, somebody actually did it in the Word, what you are being taught is not right. There's a lot of times people will take one verse of Scripture, come up with the meaning and tell you this is how you're supposed to live your life. But no one else did it. No one in the Word of God did it. So we're always very careful in here is I'll teach you the principles. We show it to you in a number of different places and then we show you people that did it. If you ever think back over the years, this is what I've always done. Here's the principles. Here's where it is often. And here's the people who did it. If I cannot show you people that did it, who lived their life that way, who who uh, demonstrated what we're showing you in the Word to do, then you don't have any business doing it yourself. Now, there are some things in the Word that are, that are small. They're minuscule. They don't, you don't govern your life by it. It's just something to know. And sometimes we get off on those things. We'll show you, all right, this is, this is just something good to know. When we talked about where do demons come from, that's not something you govern your life by, but we'll show you in the Word of God where it is, and it's in there more than once or twice where, where they come from. But it's not a principle that you spend a whole lot of time on or that rules your life. But there's other pr- principles that do. Some of the things, uh, here's a here's a way we can go. This is what we can, we can show you. There's a lot of things that people do in the area of spiritual warfare. And in this, in this in this idea of spiritual warfare, they talk about how they have battled in the spirit. Have you ever heard anybody, don't raise your hand if you did. I'm sure no one else here did. But you probably know people who talk about how they have battled in the spirit. How it was a tough battle. How it was a rough battle. And oh boy, we just stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it. And we battled this thing down and whatever it might be. I'm not talking about standing in faith for healing. I'm not talking about standing in faith for things and, and, uh, and staying put. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who say in spiritual warfare we had to go to battle against the enemy and this is what we had to do. If you do that, then you do not believe what the Word of God says. Now, people teach you that, but they cannot show you anyone who did that because the teaching is wrong. If you have a long, drawn-out battle in the Spirit, then you did not battle it right. Because I don't know about you, but my Bible reads it this way. That Jesus Christ is far above principalities and powers. Doesn't it say that? Anybody else's Bible say it that way? Far above principalities and powers? When he talks about pulling down strongholds, does it seem like the strongholds just barely come down? No, it says when you come at it with, with what's in the Word that the strongholds come down. If the strongholds always come down, are they really strongholds? 
if a stronghold always comes down when you use certain things on it, is it a stronghold? Then why does the Word of God say strongholds? Because to us it's a stronghold. To God it's a weak hold. And He has the tools to pull it down every single time. All you got to do is use them. Jesus Christ is far above principalities and powers. You do not defeat the principalities and powers through your prayers. You walk in the victory that He already attained. But you see the devil, how the devil just wants to get that slight thing in there? Just to turn it a little bit. And he wants to make you think you're doing all the fighting, all the battling. And now you're not using the weapons of our warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, if you put that on the target, it will always take it down. So anyway, that's just a side note. We weren't planning on getting into that. But let's take a look at this in verse 16. The first, well, first, verse 15, first off, be diligent. There's a diligence that we need to have to present yourself approved. There's an approval that goes on for those who work for God. Workers who do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is your responsibility to make sure this is done. It's not God's. I've got to make sure that I walk in that way. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. A lot of people talk about stuff that just doesn't... And I, I was one of them people. I was one of them people. When I first got started in the ministry, or going out to learning, learning things, I was learning a whole lot of stuff, and I just loved talking to people about it. And I would go and I would battle people on these things. And um, then I went to college, and I was real good. I defeated everybody, whoever came up against me, for college. I didn't care what grade they were in. They could have been a, a senior, and I was a freshman. And I'd trash them in the argument area. There was not a single person on campus who could stand up to me. But I didn't do it right. I mean, that's wrong. I'm not bragging about that. I'm telling you, I did it in the wrong way. I could argue anybody and did it well. But then I learned over some time, this is, this is not what it's about. And so one time I came home to the former youth group that I had been in, where I was so good and so proficient at arguing, and they got into a debate on church, uh, church membership. Then I could see them, you know, sitting around. They were looking over at me to wait for me to chime in. Because I've always chimed in on stuff like that before. And so I didn't chime in. I saw somebody else that I knew. He was over there and he's playing this game. How many have ever heard of the game of Orthello? I had never played the game of Orthello before. Now I don't have not played it much after that. But I decided I'd go over there and take a look. And, and I learned how to play the game. So he taught me how to play the game while this thing is going on. So they're still over there debating about church membership, whether you should, whether you shouldn't be, all this sort of stuff. And he and I are over here, we're, we're being carnal and just playing Orthello. And so they, they finally got tired of, of me not saying anything. And so they hollered over at me and said, Steve, don't you have anything to comment about this? So I just looked over to him and I said, well, what's the word say about church membership? Well, it's not in there. I said, well, then I don't have anything to say. And I went back to playing Orthello. Now, see, before that would have pulled me into an argument. And I could have argued with them, all sorts of stuff on it, but it's... That's not going to help anybody, and it didn't do any good. So this is, but shame, profane, and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. In other words, New Century Version, stay away from foolish, useless talk, because they will lead people further away from God. That's not what we want to do. So be careful what kind of arguments you get into. Don't get into ones. If the word does not give me ammo on it, then I'm probably not going to get too involved. 17, and their message will spread like cancer, Hymenus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth. If you strayed concerning the truth, doesn't that mean that you originally had the truth? But you strayed. Now the childs, they deal with a whole lot with, uh, with foster dogs. Do some of those dogs stray off? In order to stray, you have to have a place where they're supposed to be. And so when they go someplace else, they've strayed off of that. This is what he's talking about. They strayed from the truth. They used to be there, but now they went from it because they got involved in some of this kind of uh, useless talk, saying that the resurrection has already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. Paul's saying what they're saying isn't true. They somehow got this revelation and then they wanted to go out and portray it, but it's not in the Word of God. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 
best way not to stray from the truth is to stay in it. That's the best way. If you want to make sure you don't stray from the truth, stay in the truth. Don't don't move yourself off of it. Verse 20, but in a great house there are only vessels of gold. There are not only vessels of gold, silver, but also wood and clay, some of honor, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So this is what he's, he's talking about here. That in the house you have certain vessels. The t- certain vessels that are good vessels. Certain vessels that are, are highly cherished. How many people have highly cherished China? No, but just us. <laughs> we're the only ones. All right, we've got somebody else over there. Uh, we, we, uh, we were given them. But they're highly cherished. And, and so, you know, we don't bring them out every day. And we don't put them in the microwave. And um, they're, they're, they're washed very carefully. But then you also have the, the other stuff that's just every day. And corningware is great for this because it doesn't break all that easy. You know, and this is just everyday stuff. Put it in the microwave. Something happens to it. That's all right. We just go out and get a new one, like a bucket plate or something like that. They're not, they're not expensive. <laughs> go out to the dollar store. You can probably find those kind of plates. And then you can just uh, stack them up there. And if they get damaged, well, we just throw it out and get a new one. But you don't do that with the highly precious stuff. What he's saying here is, you can strive to be one of the vessels of honor in the house. Or you can just be one of the vessels that no one cares about. It might even just be a paper plate. <laughs> you get a, if you're a paper plate in the house, you get used one time. Nobody use, reuses their paper plates, do they? <laughs> we don't want to reuse paper plates. We throw them away because they don't wash up so well. But you want to become a vessel of honor. He tells you how to do it. And certainly we want to become all that God will have us to be. So if you will cleanse yourself from these the things in this his list there, the latter parts, you will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Again, he's going over this again. He just went over it before. So he's saying it a second time. He wants to make sure they understand. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they will generate strife. Now, what's the difference between a foolish and ignorant dispute that generates strife and someone who stands for the truth and gets people upset? Well, the truth will have a lot of the word on your side, a lot of the word to go after. There'll be a lot of word there to support it. There'll be people in the Word who did it. And you can go to these things. These things that stir up strife, well, there's nothing there for that. We're just supposing, like church membership. Well, the Word doesn't say anything about it, but we think church membership is important. Well, we don't think church membership is important at all. Well, I think you ought to do this for church membership. Well, we don't think you ought to do that. We think you ought to do this. See, it's all just opinion. There's nothing to base it from the Word of God. So it's going to be a foolish and ignorant dispute. If you have been in a church and they... They had a, uh, a church membership and you got on that and then you got into another church and said, we don't believe in that sort of stuff. And so then you didn't have, have that. didn't mean that you were unsaved at any, any time. It just meant one time you were an official member of a church another time you were not. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Don't get involved in those things. Stay with the truth. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all. Boy, he's kind of hitting this one home in a lot, isn't he? If you want to be a servant of the Lord, don't quarrel. Don't go around making fights with everybody because you're just going to disqualify yourself from being able to be the servant of the Lord to them. But be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. These are important things. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. There's a lot of people who like to correct, but they don't do it in humility. They do it as in, you stupid and then they, they just start to berate them. And that's not in humility. That's not going to help anybody. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape. See, people who have left the truth, they've lost, they've lost, come, they've, they've uh, moved away from what is sensible. And they're doing stupid things. Just like these people who go out there and say, you know, there's, I don't know how many, how many are they up to? 20 different times of genders? All these different kinds of genders that are out there. I, I saw one. It was kind of comical. And I put it up on Facebook months ago. But I thought it was great. It said, it's amazing that with all these different genders that are out there, 
archaeologists still only find males and females. That is kind of amazing, isn't it? Yep. But you see, they, they're strayed from the truth and now they can get caught up in all kinds of nonsense to the point of having girls having to put up with boys who think they're girls in their showers and in their locker rooms. And, you know, 10 years ago, we would have had a sense enough to know, no, boys do not belong in the girls' locker room. Girls have their own locker room. No, I went to school and I know there were some boys who wanted to get into the girls' locker room. I was not one of those boys. I was not one of those boys. But I know that there were some who wanted to. And, and they did not want to get in there pretending to be girls. But now that's what they want to do. They want to pretend to be girls so they can get into the girls' locker That's not right. People should have enough sense. He says it right here. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. So you have to go out here and you have to correct some people. Make sure you do it humbly. Some people won't be corrected. You just got to walk away from that. It's a shame when people are in leadership and they're, they've lost their senses. They're being used by the devil. It says here in the end of verse 26, having been taken captive by him to do his will. People that are out here doing this foolish stuff, just, you know, we mentioned a couple of the areas, but people that are out there doing the foolish stuff, they've been taken captive by the devil to do what he wants them to do and accomplish his purpose on the earth. I don't want to be on that side. Now, a whole lot of words in there. I kind of wanted to summarize this especially since the kids are here with us today, so that you can come away with something. So in summary, teach and remind them the word principles. This is, the, this is what you're supposed to do. Teach and remind them the word principles. Make sure what you teach holds up to what the Bible teaches. i got to make sure that what I teach holds up to what the Bible teaches. If it doesn't hold up to what the Bible teaches, I shouldn't be teaching it. Don't argue about words and things that don't change how you live. Be gentle, patient, continually teach, even if they don't always get it. Got to be patient. Sometimes you can be teaching, teaching, teaching. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. Well, then teach it again. They don't get it. Teach it again. Don't get it. Teach it again. Keep on going. Be patient. Be gentle. Be patient. There are some who have taken, who have been taken captive. Understand that. There are some who have been taken captive. Be humble in correcting them and give them opportunity to change direction. Make sure you give them the opportunity to do it. Teach and reteach what is pure truth. We have to teach and reteach what is pure truth. Refraining from arguing, correction will be necessary, but be gentle and humble about it. Now, I've told you before, very often, people will tap into something with me by asking me a question. I had a question asked me a couple of weeks ago that tapped into something that I have done for decades. In fact, I have done this for so long, I don't even know when I started. It's just something that I do. Never have written it down. I don't think I've ever talked about it much to anybody. But somebody asked me a question that caused me to have to write all that stuff down. And so they asked me a question. And before we get into that, I'm going to ask uh, for some of our volunteers who will help us out with some some candy. Anybody like chocolate? We got some hands up over there. All right. We got the one hand up. Now, if I were to give you that to you, hold that up in the air so everybody can see that you got it. And I'm going to tell you this. Do not eat that during the service. Do not eat that until after the service. Now, if I'm going to tell you don't eat that until after the service, what are you going to do with it? But where, where are you going to put it? Right next to you? You won't put it in your pocket? Why won't you put it in your pocket? Remember, it's chocolate. Is there a reason? Max, what, would you put chocolate in your pocket? Max would put chocolate in his pocket. Mom, can you verify this? Yes. yes. <laughs> Max has put chocolate in his pocket. But uh, now you have it next to you there, so you can keep an eye on it. So if uh, Lumi comes over there and tries to steal it, you, you'll, you'll be able to protect it, right? So you got it, you got it right there. I'm going to try and get somebody, somebody else. Or who else likes chocolate? We got one right here. All right. Now, if you have to keep this protected a little bit more than, than Lissy does over there, where do you think you're going to put it? Because you can't eat it before the service is over either. You're going to give it to mom? Uh-uh. I'm sure you're not going to give it to your brother, right? 
He don't like that. Well, he's safe. So you're going to put it in your in your hat. Yeah. What might happen if you put it in your hat? No. It'll make melt. Yeah. So if you put chocolate in your pocket or in your hat or something like that, then it's not going to be protected real well, right? So where do you think you might put it? You're going to put it in your Bible. Okay. Hey, do you like chocolate? All right. If I come over here and give you this, where would you put it? You would set it on your Bible because your mom's not going to steal it from you? <laughs> Miss G's not going to steal it from uh, from behind? Oh, she, I saw that look. She might be thinking about that. If you had to put that into a secure place, where would you put it? You would put it in your bag? Why would you put it in your bag? No one's going to get into it and it won't melt because it's not in your pocket? Yeah. Gave out three pieces of chocolate. Each person handled it a little bit differently. And what they're going to do? There's something I've done for the longest time and I never really think about how I do it. I just do it. Until it, uh, it came upon a, a time, uh, and you all can blame, blame Mr. Bruce for this, because he asked me a question. And it was not just a simple, it was a long involved question and involved um, a lot of different aspects of things. And so I was watching some of the stuff and develop, developing it. So um, I was watching the one and what it was that they were asking me my opinion on this particular uh, minister that was uh, down in their, their neck of the woods. Just, you know, what I thought about how he presented the word, what I saw about the, the church and stuff like that. And so I listened to it. And as I did, I immediately began to do what I've done for decades. But I never realized I'm doing it or never really talked to anybody about doing this. I'm listening to it, listening to it, listening to it. And I immediately put them into one of three categories. I always put preachers into one of three categories. Once I hear them, I'll, I'll give, listen to them one time. I won't necessarily lock them in that category until I hear them a second or third time. But once I hear them, I have put them into one of those categories. And so he was asking me about it. And so I, I sent him some stuff. And my brother Bruce, I've developed it since then. And I'll tell you why <laughs> as we get on here. But there are three types of teaching pastors. And so we're going to do this from the standpoint of a pool. How many people like to be in a pool? All right. How many people like to be around the pool? Not in the pool, but around, around the pool. All right. You're going to be able to appreciate this because we're going to have all of you in here. So we have the three different types of, of teaching pastors. Here's the first one. I call these Deckers. Deckers. These are people who like to be around the pool, but not actually in the pool. I just want to be around the pool. I want to smell the pool. Maybe I'll dip my feet in the pool. Maybe I won't. I don't need to, to enjoy the pool. I can sit on a chair near the pool and have fun. How many people can relate to that? You just need to sit near the pool and you don't have to get in the water. And you can relate. You can, you can do the, this. Deckers. They just stay on the deck. They don't leave the deck. They stay on the deck. These are, I relate these to pastors. These are those who don't bother much with the word. They throw in a mention of a biblical concept here and there, quote maybe a verse or two that goes along with something that they, they want to do. They don't care if it's in context or not. They just hang around on the deck, but don't actually get into the Word. They try and keep as many people happy as they can. They don't get into anything controversial. They only speak what they perceive will not offend, not what God instructs them to say. They do not mind offending those who hold the word high in their life, however. For me, if a pastor doesn't get my dander up every now and then, you know what I mean by that phrase? <laughs> I think it's an old phrase. <laughs> but I know exactly what it means. It just means, you know, you get your blood up, get your blood going. They get my dander up a little bit. And if they don't do that every now and then, they probably aren't doing what God told them to. They need to get me upset every now and then. They need to step on my toes or, or push me out of my, my little box every once in a while. So those are the deckers. They just kind of hang out on the deck. The word's around here somewhere. But we're just, you know, we're, we're deckers. And then we have the divers. The divers, they get on the diving board and they make some fancy entry into the pool. Right? Uh, but then they swim to the side and they get out. Then they go get back on the diving board. Maybe there's a line for the diving board. And they wait for their turn. 
and then they get up on the diving board? I mean, some people are real good at making a show of being on the diving board. Everybody see, I am on the diving board. And they get the attention, I'm on the diving board. I'm ready to spring off of the diving board. And then they, some of them are really good at what they do. And they can spring off and they attract a lot of attention. A lot of people like to look at the person coming off the diving board and how they hit the water. But then once they hit the water, they come back up to the surface and they get out. These are those who use scripture as a launching point to give validity to opinions, principles, or concepts. They want to discuss but never spend much time in the water. Now this is not a bad trait for an exhorter. But it's not a great one for a pastor. Pastor needs to spend time in the Word. Now, I'll give you an example in this. How many like Jesse Duplantis? Now, Jesse Duplantis is a diver. All right, he will use the Word of God as a springboard to launch into something. And then he starts telling you his stories. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. How many of you folks feel encouraged when you get done with a Jesse Duplantis? Because he knows his role. He know My role here is not a teacher. My role is not a pastor. My role is, he's an exhorter. He's there to get you exhorted, make you feel good about yourself, make you feel good about the Word, make you feel good about what it is that God's called you to do. And He sends you out with stories and you feel energized, you feel charged up, you feel ready to go. And that's a good place for that. He, he probably shouldn't ought to be doing other stuff like that. And moving out. There's another guy who's a diver in this. You've ever heard of John Maxwell? Now John Maxwell goes around teaching on leadership. He teaches biblical principles on leadership. He's now moved into the secular world too. And he teaches them in the secular world. I don't know that he compromises or changes anything that he does. And I'm not trying to say that he, that he that he does. But he uses the word of God as a springboard. And he begins to teach biblical principles of leadership from those things. And they're phenomenal. I don't know of anyone who's better on this topic. But he doesn't try and do a deep dive into the scripture. He uses the scripture to show you the biblical concept. And then shows you story after story or Application after application, how you can do, use this in the world. How you can use this in leadership. That's not a bad way to go, but you didn't spend a whole lot of time in the pool. That takes us over to our third group. These are the dwellers. The dwellers, they get submerged, they get drenched, they are in the pool. Once they get in the water, they do not leave the water. They get in and they stay. They have an enthusiasm for the water that pulls other people in. They're not content just to be in the water themselves. They want other people. Will you come in the water? Will you come in the water? Will you come in the water? They're always beckoning. Come in the water. Water is good. How many have ever heard this from people? The water is good. You got in the water. It was not. It was not good. <laughs> My granddaughter is terrible at this. Oh, the water is wonderful. It is not wonderful. It is, it is cold. She just gets, she just doesn't feel it. She, she is a dweller. If you want to see a dweller, she is a dweller. She gets in the water from the time that she gets over to our house and does not leave until someone drags her out of the pool. She has no intention of getting out of the pool. She wants to bring as many other people into the pool as she can and she will spend all her time in the pool and now she spends as much time on the surface of the pool swimming as she does under the surface of the water swimming. She is under the water. She is on top of the water. She is all over the water, but she's in the water. She is a dweller. If you want to come over to our house and see a dweller in the water, she is it. She will surely outdwell me in the water. See, these are those who dive into the water of the Word and they spend all their time in the water. Some go deeper than others, but they stay in the water. You have some people in this category who do nothing but stay in the shallow end. But they're in the water. You have other people that go into the deep end. And other people who go even deeper than the deep ends usually are in pools. But these are, the, these are the ones. Sometimes you have pastors that are deckers. And they just dwell out on the, on the deck of, of things. Some people are, diver, are divers. They'll have a, a few scriptures uh, smattered in there. But as a pastor, you can't feed people being a diver. You need to be a dweller. You need to be somebody who can dwell in the Word and stay in there. That's what uh, 
That's what needs to happen. I remember one, one lady, I won't tell you who you are, if you come, or who she is, don't come up to me afterwards and ask me who she is because I'm not going to tell you. But she was a woman who was a, a, a pronounced teacher in the Word of God. Very, very good. And I would listen to her all the time. The pastor of my church would talk about her often and talk about different tape series and things that she had. And she had a lot of great, uh, great tape series and a lot of things that, uh, that we learned. I learned many things from her. But then all of a sudden I noticed that she wasn't spending as much time in the Word. She would get in the Word and she would teach a principle from that Word. And then she would take that principle and build off another principle. And then take that principle and build off this principle. And then take that principle and build off to this principle. And pretty soon she was so far from the Word, it was no longer teaching what she taught. And so I stopped listening. And I didn't go after that any anymore. We have to be, be careful that we stay in the pool. There's uh, people that want to get out of the pool and just squirt you down with water. That's not being in the pool. <laughs> there is no substitute for being in the water. And if you were going to grow, then you need to dwell in the water. That doesn't mean that you go to the pool and say, well, I have to be a dweller. I got to get nothing. That has nothing to do with it. That's just your example, your little picture that you can ask for. It. You can still go to the pool and be a decker. But when it comes to the Word, be a dweller. Dwell in the Word. Now that brought me to, well, in, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, we read this before, but 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, preach the Word. That's what we're supposed to preach. We're supposed to preach the Word. Now once in a while I tell you some stories. I don't have that many great stories. I have a couple I can use. Jesse Duplantis, he's got a lot of great stories. It seems like every week he's making new stories. Brother Hagen had the best stories I ever learned from. I learned more from his stories. I tell that story again. I need to hear that story again. Tell it again. Tell it again. Tell it again. Tell it. He can keep telling. Oh, listen to the tape. He's getting into the story again. Oh, good. I need to hear the story again. I know the story. I know the story from beginning to end, but I want to hear it again because there's something I can learn from it. Not many people have stories that are are that um, that you can learn that much from. But he says here, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Sounds like the same some kind of things we read before. But preach the word. That's what you're here to do. Now I wanted to share this with you. I don't think I've ever shared this with you before. But this is how I get stuff ready. When I come in here on, on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, this is how I get stuff ready. There's four parts to these things. The first thing that I do in order to get something ready for a Sunday or a Wednesday is seek or receive revelation. There are some times that we're on a topic and I go after God and says, God, I need revelation on this. I need to hear from you on this particular topic. I'm waiting to hear revelation. Sometimes it's just revealed. He just comes and gets it, gives it to me. And I'm just going about minding my own business and he gives me a revelation on a particular matter. Ah, yeah, I, I see that. And then I write that down and I go and develop it. But other times I'm seeking it. I'm either seeking it or I receive it. But I, that's where it starts. I either seek it or receive it. I have to start from there. Now sometimes you can get revelation listening to somebody else. They make say something. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. And revelation will come. Well, then you still need to go to the second part. And that is seek understanding. See, just because I got a revelation from God, just because he spoke to me in a thing, doesn't mean I understand it. I have to get to the place where I understand it. A prophet seeks revelation knowledge. He seeks the word from God and he just needs to say it. But a pastor, a teacher, an apostle, these folks, they need to understand it. I got to get in there and understand it. Some time ago, uh, many years ago, my wife and I, we went over to the Philippines. Some of you may remember that. And we did a, primarily we were going there to be uh, doing a pastor's conference, but there was a number of other little churches and things like that we had gone to. And um, uh, that was uh, there was a whole lot of terrorist activity that was going on down there. And in fact, the State Department had closed down the area of the Philippines we wanted to go to. And so we had talked to the State Department and said, you know, what about us going down there? I said, if you get in trouble, we aren't coming after you. Mm-hmm. That's, what they, that's what they told us. <laughs> but I felt in my spirit it was okay to go. I felt good about going. You know, we had our kids were young then, so you had to be careful about that sort of sort of thing. But uh, if I didn't have that clearance in my spirit, my spirit said, no, it's okay to go. If God tells you it's okay to go, it's okay to go. If God tells you it's, okay, it's not okay to go, I don't care if you want to 
you know, someplace in the States, if God says don't go, it's not safe. But if God says go someplace, it's safe to go. So you got to listen to that. And so we were, we were listening. Well, we went on down there and during this minister's conference, I went over some, some things with them. I think in particular, I went over some things with the parables. And it was like the first time they'd ever heard anything like this. And, and they just were so exuberant about it. And over the time that we were there, we, uh, we overlapped a couple of Sundays. I think we were there three weeks. And so we overlapped a couple of Sundays. And so some of these pastors, they went out to their church and all they did was reteach what I taught them <laughs> in the, in the service. And they came back and they told me about it afterwards. And so I asked them, he said, well, tell me about what you taught. And so they did. They did not understand what it is that they were teaching. They didn't have the understanding. See, just because you get the revelation, just because your eyes are opened up, oh, I see that now, doesn't mean you have the understanding of it. So the second part I have to go to, second part that all people have to go to, is that once we receive revelation, I have to seek after the understanding. I got to figure out what does this thing mean? Where is it supposed to go? What am I supposed to do with it? I have to get the understanding of the revelation. Now that's only the second part. After I get this, after I seek after the understanding, the third thing I do is I have to make it understandable. Just because I understand it doesn't mean I can make it understandable for anyone else. So I have to, first off, understand it, and then make it understandable. Now how many of you, how many of you young kids have a topic in school that you don't understand real well. It's harder for you to get. Yeah. Mia, what's yours? What's your topic? Uh, mine's English. I had a hard time with English. You can probably tell that by the way I talk. <laughs> what is it? Same thing? You, you and me are the same way? Yeah, I, have, I still do not know why I need to break down a sentence. I, I've never broke down a sentence since I left school. I don't even know where the noun, the verb... I just, I just... Read the sentence. That's it. Never had to do all that. Now, the other people are saying, yes, you do. You just don't know where. <laughs> Max, you had your, what, what's your, what's your topic? Same thing? Man, these language things. Yeah, I was so glad I got to college and had to take English. This is done. No more English. I took Greek instead. And that was such a refreshing thing. <laughs> what's yours? What is it? Math? Mm-hmm. That's, in, that's hereditary. <laughs> Mama doesn't like math either. <laughs> and see, that was an, an example. I can understand math, but I had to get that math so that I could get my daughter to understand it. And she'll tell you that I didn't do such a good job on that. <laughs> I have to get it. It's not enough that I understand how to do that. How do I tell someone else to do it? So, you have to first off get the revelation, seek the understanding, make it understandable. You gotta make it understandable. Then here's the fourth part we go into after that. After we make it understandable, I go to the fourth part, make it memorable. How are they gonna remember it? What can we do to help them to remember it? When people come up to me and they say, I remember you, five years ago you taught this. I'm thinking, glory to God, it works. <laughs> Never get tired of hearing that. But that's the order of things. Now I learned, if you ever noticed this, I don't talk a whole lot about anything I'm going to teach because I've learned if I start talking about it at stage two, I lose people because I can't communicate what's on the inside of me on that. And then sometimes because of the reception that it got, I've talked myself out of pursuing it anymore and I've gone away from it. So I just keep it to myself until I'm ready to to get through the other the other parts of it. Now the the thing of it, it of it is is since I've been pastoring for thirty some years, I have to do this at least twice a week. I have to get go through this process for what we're going to do on Wednesdays. I have to go through this process for what we're going to do on Sundays, and then we threw in a couple years ago. Uh, my daughter came up with a brilliant idea of doing some some extra stuff on worship team night. <laughs> and it has been good. I have thoroughly enjoyed it, but uh, we've been doing a, a book study with the with them to get some discussion going. And so I only have one day to get that one ready because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm working on Wednesday. 
Thursday, I try and focus on what we're going to do in the worship team because I have to have some ways to stir up conversation in case conversation doesn't get going. So I have to have some things in the and ready for that. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is just tuned into this. Now, as soon as we get done this, I take a little bit of a breather. We play with the grandkids. And then Monday morning, it starts up again. And so I have other things to do, you know, make bunk beds and stuff like that. And so I'm always trying to mull over this. All right, where are we going? What are we doing? And so when God gives me stuff, I write it down. But it's, a, it's just a constant thing. It has, it's something they have to keep going after and going after. And you would think it could get to be a lot of pressure. And see, what happens with some pastors is they feel the pressure. Oh, I've got to perform. I've got to have something. I've got to, to do something. And so then you begin to be open for the enemy to give you stuff. And he'll start slipping some things in and telling you, well, here, teach this. <gasps> no one's ever taught that before. Oh, this will be good. And you get excited about that. I learned, it took me a little while, but I did finally learn, I don't have to develop it. I just have to receive it. And so it's, I'm, I, I'm completely relaxed. God, what do you want to do? If you don't want to do nothing, I'll just show up. <laughs> That's all right. We're good. James 3 and verse 1, my brethren. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Why in blazes would you want to do it? <laughs> because if you have the grace and the anointing that God gave you, it is the most exciting thing there is. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I thank God for the opportunity to come before you all and teach you on Wednesday and Sunday because you make me better. I have grown you give me reasons to pursue things in the Word of God. So I grow. I learn things. You ask me questions. And I go back and I say, I never thought of that question. And then I go back and I get answers for those things. But in Ezekiel chapter 34, that's just sort of a side thing for you. I don't think I've ever taught that or shown that before. But that's, that's the process which I'll, I'll go through. And if that helps you out. Ezekiel 34 verse 1. We spent some time on this chapter about a year ago in the Ezekiel series. And if you want, you can go back up there. You can check it out. It's going to be somewhere around number 33, I think is what it is. 33, it might be 34, but I think it's number 33 on the, um, on the Ezekiel, um, uh, Ezekiel series. I'm not going to bother finding it and putting it on the Facebook because it didn't seem like anybody took the ones I had put up there before and did it much with them. They just uh, either had already been through it or whatever it was. But you can, you can find that on your own. Just go up into the, uh, the sermon dot, uh, what is it, sermon.net app. Or you can go up in the podcast. There's ways that you can search for it. And it'll come up real easy for you. But in verse 1 of 34, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Now most people read this chapter like it's written for pastors. How many pastors are in the Old Testament? Anybody know? There are no pastors in the Old Testament. So you cannot be writing a letter to the, or a prophecy to the pastors if there are no pastors. Right? So who's he writing it to? Well, he's not writing it to the prophets because that was a chapter before. Chapter before this, he was writing to the watchmen. The watchmen were the prophets and he told them, you're not doing a very good job. And he prophesied against the watchmen. He said, you're seeing what's coming, but you're not telling anybody. And he exhorted the watchmen. That was the prophets. There are two sets of, of roles in the Old Testament. Prophet. Oh, I'm sorry, three. Prophet, priest, and king. Now, by king, you mean rulers. Whoever is the rulers of the land. They would, there would be the rulership. There would be the priest. There would be the prophets. That's it. The shepherds in the Old Testament are the kings and the rulers. These are the ones. So when he writes this, this is what he's writing about. There's a lot of people who would take this and put it over to the pastors. And actually, it works. You can do it because a pastor has three responsibilities. Remember what they are? Feed, rule, and watch. So there are some things that this has to, has to speak to. But these particular shepherds, these kings and these rulers, they were taking care of themselves and not the people. Verse 4, The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. 
but the force and cruelty you have but with force and cruelty you have ruled them so they're just in it for themselves for what they can gain when you have rulers that get rich in office this is what this is the kind of people that he's talking about there's a whole lot of people that have gotten incredibly rich in office and it's not because of their salary and we're not going to get into all the things that they do, but that's what he's, he's talking about. You're not taking care of the people. You're taking care of yourself. Verse 5, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. If there is a scattering, they become feast. Remember, the devil seeks whom he may devour. He's trying to get the church to scatter, to start to, to move away to not be together. He's trying to get the shepherds to not watch over. He's trying to get the shepherds not to feed. He's trying to get the shepherds to rule harshly. And yet these are all things that in the New Testament we're told, don't rule harshly. Don't don't go that way. Make sure that you feed them. Make sure that you pay attention to them. God says, I want you to take better care of them than you do yourself. And they're not doing that. They're taking care of themselves and whatever they might have for the people, they'll tack that on at the end. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. See, these shepherds, shepherds, they're selfish. They care for themselves. I had a quote in here when we went through this in Ezekiel. And I didn't write down who it came from, but I'll just read it to you. Dining on roast lamb and dressed in sheepskin jackets as they relaxed in their privileged position, the state of their flocks steadily declined. Gives you a good picture of what's going on that he's uh, pinpointing. Verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to, to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. It goes on, and it's very harsh in speaking to the shepherds because they're not measuring up and not doing the things that they're supposed to do. But God will judge the shepherds. He will take care of it. When you become a shepherd, you become a pastor, you become a ruler, whatever it might be, there are certain responsibilities that go with it, and there are certain rights and there are certain privileges that come along with it too. But they were not caring for the needs of the people. They were certainly simply striving for their own. Well, I, I mentioned this question to you two weeks ago. I'm sure that most people have probably forgotten it. But I'll read it to you again because I had it at the end to make sure we got into. How do people who are not really pastors in their call or qualifications become pastors? If you've ever wondered that, you, there's an answer for it in the Word of God and a number of the scriptures we have already gone over in the last number of weeks will show you who they are and how this happens. I also put as a secondary question, why are there divisions that come up in churches, splits, and stuff like that? This is what happens. The enemy comes into the, to the church and he redefines the role of the pastor. No longer is the pastor a shepherd. No longer is the pastor in charge of feeding, watching, and ruling. Now the pastor is in charge of being the head visitor, being the head one who goes, the main one who goes to the hospitals. The main one who provides rides. The main one who comes over and helps for whatever it is that's going on. He's the main helper. And so, many times they get so involved in this because no one else is picking up the slack and doing the things that they don't have time to get into the Word. And they just try and get something warmed up Saturday night to get it ready for them on Sunday. And so the, the, the sheep become less fed, less strong, less able to do things he's not ruling because he's busy. He's out doing all this other stuff. 
And so unruly things are happening. But then what happens in the course of this is that the pastor starts to get burned out. He gets tired. And not as much of those things are going on. Feels like it was a thankless job. Nobody really appreciated it. And so as he backs off on that, what happens in the church is that someone else sees the void and rises up. And they begin to go and do the visits, go to the hospitals, and be the helper. And the whole time they come over and they visit, and they go to the hospitals, and they're the helper, you know what they're saying? I don't know why pastor's not here. He should be here, but I'm here. And what they have done is they have picked up the exact same spirit that influenced Absalom, who stood at the gate and said, if I was king, this wouldn't be going on. And so what you have is that after a time, the congregation, because it's not ruled the way the Bible set up, it's ruled the way our country has set them up. And so they vote the pastor out. Or the, vote, the board is pressured, and they chase the pastor out, and they put someone else in, and guess who they pick? Now, the person who's supposed to be doing the visits, the, the majority of the visits, not all, the pastor will do some of these, of course, but the person who's supposed to do the majority of these visits are the people of the congregation. This is how they grow, and this is how they develop, this is how they do things. The body needs to care for itself. And the pastor is in the way of them doing that by doing all these things, trying to pick up the, the slack. So that nobody else wants to do it on a whole, whole basis, so there's room for someone in the church to stand up. And I, have, I put this title on. They become the head sheep. They're not a pastor, but they're the head sheep. They're the one who does most of the stuff in the church, like the visits, the maintenance, the help, the calls. They do most of that. And so after a while, the people begin to look and they say, this is what we expect the pastor to do. And they take the head sheep and they put him in the role of the pastor, except he's not a shepherd. And his attention is not spent on the watching, on the feeding, and on the ruling. Now, when you hear ruling, again, the Word of God has said, don't rule with an iron, iron fist. There is as much importance in what you don't get involved with as what you do. I learned that over the years. I cannot get involved in everything. There's times I said, God, should I get involved in that yet? He says, no. And I wait. And I find out, yep, you were right. I sh- if I got involved in that sooner, it would have messed it all up. And I waited until... Either he says to do so, or there was never any need. But you see, that's part of the, of the ruling aspect of it. So now they have a head sheep in the role of the shepherd who's not equipped to do the watching, the ruling, and the feeding. And so the, slowly, the congregation gets weaker and gets picked off by the enemy. This is what the enemy loves. He wants the church to become weak. Because he doesn't want pastors who are going to do their job, the main job, which is to feed, rule, and watch over. And if we can get them so busy, they're not watching over these things, there's no feeding going on, and eventually we can get a head sheep in there. You get a head sheep in there, piece of cake to get a wolf to come in. Because no matter how tough the head sheep thinks he is, he's not equipped to be the shepherd because God gives those, those folks certain graces and certain abilities to be able to do that. So, we're going to end off with this. How do I receive from a pastor? I'm going to give you three things here. Did I write them in your outline? I did not? Good. I didn't want to. They just gave you blank lines, right? All right. I want... You've got to know what a pastor is called to do first off and draw from what they're called to do. If you want water, if you want water in Bible days, where did you go? You had to go to the well. Now we go to the spigot. But you used to have to go to the well. I was, I'm old enough that I've been in places, not, our, not places we lived in, but places that we visited, 
where if you wanted water, you had to go out to the little hand crank, uh, crank out there and pump, 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 get the thing filled up, bring it into the house. Anybody old enough to remember that? Yeah, we had one of the, a couple of places we would visit. They had that and we just, we didn't do it all the time. So we thought this was so great. <laughs> now, if we did it every day, it wouldn't be so great. But um, it was just a novelty. So we were going out there and we would do that. But if you want water, you got to go to the well. Don't go to some place else. Make sure when you go to the pastor, go for what he's there for. Here's the, here's the three things you need to do. First off, listen. See, what is being taught is to help you now and prepare you for what is coming. If the pastor does his job the way he's supposed to, what he is teaching you is not only good for you now, it will prepare you for what is coming down the road because the part of the job of the pastor is to be a watcher and to see what is coming and to get everyone ready for whatever it is that's coming. If you don't study the things out for yourself, you won't have, you won't have them when you're needed. Remember Paul went into the city? And uh, the Bereans. And he went into the Bereans and he taught them and they were excited. And they went back and they studied out to see if the things that Paul taught were so. That's what you need to do. Always make sure to do that. How long it has been, I don't know. But we've been giving out outlines for the longest time. Because I want you to be able to go home and study this out so that it becomes yours. And I don't want you to sit there and write down everything. I'm a terrible note taker. I could sometimes get so engrossed in listening to what the, the person I'm listening to is, is saying that, oh, I forgot to write the things down. So we give you the head, uh, head start on that. And then you can just write down other stuff. But you got the scriptures there. You can go home. You're equipped. You can, you can do that. We've done that for a long, long time. Might even be decades. But you got to listen. That's the first thing. Here's the second one. Ask questions. But ask questions that call on an understanding of the Bible. Ask questions that call on an understanding of the Bible. You could come up and ask me questions about football and I might be able to give you an answer to it, but there's no anointing there. You might have a question about running and understand, well, Pastor Steve's a runner. I'll come up and ask him and I can give you an answer on that. But there's no anointing there. But you see, when you give, ask me a question in the Bible, there can be an anointing there and you can tap into something I never even knew to, to ask before or never knew to pursue. Listen to what's being taught. Ask questions that call on an understanding of the Bible. Here's a third one. Submit. You don't have to blindly follow, but don't be in opposition. You don't have to blindly follow whatever a pastor says. In fact, that's not such a good idea to, to do that. Pastor says something, well, I'm going to check that out. Be like the Bereans. I'm going to check this out and see if it's so. But don't be in opposition. You get in opposition, it's going to be hindered. Remember that movie we told you about? How many remember the movie? I only told you about one while we've been on the pastor. No, there it is. The, no, no, no. The one we were talking about here in the last couple of weeks. That's a good movie, though. The Bodyguard. The Bodyguard. Remember that? The person who's supposed to be protected didn't want to be protected. If you do not submit, you won't be protected. If those sheep in the fold didn't listen to the shepherd and went off and did their own thing and got eaten by the wolf, they can't blame the shepherd. But you don't have to blindly follow, but don't be in opposition. Their perspective is given by God to pass on to you, warn, prepare, and feed. The perspective that God gives a pastor and he's supposed to pass on to you is to warn, prepare, and feed. If you get unsubmitted, you'll be unprotected. See, if a pastor isn't distracted by the things the body should be doing, they're, they are able to do the things needed, feed, rule, and what? Feed, rule, and watch over. I hope you remember these three, three things. My role for you and other pastors' role for their churches is to first off and foremost feed. Remember Jesus' exhortation to Peter we went over? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. 
feed, feed, rule. That's what he told them. The more that you folks pick up and do in the care of the people in the body, then the more I'm able to focus on what God wants me to focus on and the stronger we as a church get. And I mean, I get stronger too because the more I can pursue the answers for you, the more answers I get myself. That's a, it's a good thing. But these are the, we spent three weeks here on the pastor, five weeks on the prophet. Might just be one week to get through the rest of them. Because a lot of the things we've already gone over with the pastor will apply in some ways to the teacher and the apostle. And uh, so really the evangelist is the most unique one, but we'll be, be looking at, at those other ones. But uh, we want you to show you the ne- uniqueness of the evangelist gift so that you can draw off of it, so that you know what they're supposed to do. Evangelist is not just there to get people saved, though that is one thing that they will, they will certainly do. But we want you to see from the Word of God where these things are at. So I hope to spending this time on the role of the pastor helps you to understand how to glean from these things, how, how that you can you can receive, because it's it's important. God gave gifts for the purpose that they would equip the saints. If I don't understand what the gift is, if I can't use it the way it's supposed to be used, I won't come out equipped just because I'm around them. I got to get what I need to from the from the prophet. Got to get what I, God intended for me to get from the pastor. From the teacher. Well, we'll look at how is a teacher different from a pastor. A pastor should teach, but how is it just a teacher different from a pastor? And there are differences, and we'll show some of those things in the in the Word of God and help you with that so you have a good understanding of the fivefold. Would you all stand up with me? Not much falling on the way of snow outside there yet. That's a That's a good thing. Father, I thank you. That you just didn't put the church here and say, hey, I've had it. But you gave us things to help us along the way. First off, you gave us of your Holy Spirit. Who inspires each and every one of us and speaks to us and empowers us. You gave us your word. And oh, what a gift that is. Then along those lines, you gave us the fivefold ministry that they could... Teach us and instruct us and show us some things of how we can walk in the Spirit. How we can walk in the Word. How we can grow our understanding of these things. And we aim to get all that we can out of these giftings. And I thank you for them. I thank you that we are better as a body of Christ when the fivefold ministry is doing what the fivefold ministry is supposed to do. And when the body is doing what it's supposed to do, then the body grows. And I thank you for the growth that we have here, growth that we have in each each believer, each person, growth in our children, and the things that they come to expect from your word, from the people who make up the church, how they can rely on you all through the week. You don't just speak to adults, you speak to children. You speak to teenagers. You speak to us no matter what age we are. If you would speak to Samuel and give him such an incredible, powerful word at a young age, certainly you can speak to us. I thank you for it. Grow us in your love. Love for you and love for each other. Thank you for it in Jesus' name.